welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, Silence your electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make a personal recording of this or any meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. The prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you're not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listeners can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. We'll each share for 10 minutes, and then there will be a time after for question and answer. Steve, would you like to begin? I'd be happy to. Thank, Thank you, you, Jesse. I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I've been sober since August the 5th, 2001. And our topic is reinvigorating my program after years of sobriety. And I'd like to start with the reading um, from page 84 and 85 of the big book. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how long, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line 
all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Let's see if I'm a sexaholic. Um, this topic of reinvigorating my program after years of sobriety is, is very timely for me. Um, I share my experience, strength, and hope in essay meetings. Um, very often, I have experience of working with sponsees, and I ask my sponsees permission uh, to share uh, things from their experience as they've affected and, and impressed me in, in my reco uh, recovery journey. Um, on this topic, um, on New Year's Eve, I have a sponsee that lost eight and a half years of sobriety. And this is a wake-up call for me, and I think anybody who has a little sobriety, um, uh, and, and if they've got the disease I've got, um, they, they might need, as I do, these reminders that the disease is always ready to slip in the cracks, any, any opening it can find in my recovery program and reassert its control over my uh, my brain and my my decision making process. So um, um, the topic um, uh, also gives me a, a kind of a opportunity to reflect um, on where I was uh, 16 years ago. Um, at this time in 2002, I had a little over five months of sobriety. <laughs> I was living in a halfway house in Nashville. I had been there for two months after getting out of three months of inpatient treatment. During that treatment, I had uh, disclosed all of my secrets, which had resulted in a report to the authorities, and I was in the midst of a process of being prosecuted um, for my cr criminal behavior. And, and my, uh, I was about a month away from my uh, plea hearing where I was to plead um, guilty to statutory rape versus a 15-year-old male. And um, uh, I was pretty scared. Um, I was pretty desperate. Um, and I was willing to do many, many things that I had never previously been willing to do in the hopes that I could have sobriety and recovery and a life that was tolerable because I had not really known a life that was tolerable before that unless I was numb and I had numerous ways of numbing out um, uh, lust being the foremost of those and um, and the numbing medicine didn't work very well anymore. And um, uh, I had—I was about a year away from my most serious uh, <laughs> ideas about suicide that I'd ever experienced in my. Probably, uh, I felt some of the greatest pain that I've yet felt in my life during that first year of sobriety, and it was a great motivator. I went to about 500 meetings in my first year. I did service work uh, in SA and another fellowship. I uh, had sponsors in um, SA and other fellowships. I um, uh, followed directions. Um, I complied with my uh, treatment providers. I complied with the courts. Um, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. Um, and when I went to bed at night, uh, 
and I had all the shame and the guilt uh, of what I had done and all the fear of what was going to happen uh, to my uh, career, to my uh, marriage, to my uh, you know freedom, to my life. Um, the fact that I had picked up cigarette butts at the NA meeting that day was a great comfort. Um, I can't quite describe that. It doesn't quite make sense, and so I've got to. I've got to. I've got to. Um, uh, uh, the only way I can account for that is is that God was was there in in my thoughts as I fell asleep at night, um, helping me find peace and serenity in these circumstances. And so um, that led to um, uh, a, a, a number of years uh, where my life created the opportunity for me to be very involved in the SA service structure, to have a very um, uh, disciplined uh, morning regimen that sometimes took an hour or an hour and a half of quiet time and prayer. And um, most uh, of the men that I've sponsored and, and the, the, the friends that I've had in SA have not um, <laughs> needed to be uh, that off the deep end uh, <laughs> with their recovery uh, activity, um, nor has their li lives been sufficiently destroyed <laughs> where where they had the time to do that. Um, but um, uh, it was the right thing for me uh, at that time. And um, I uh, eventually uh, got in my service uh, experience, got to where I was um, uh, in the General Delegate Assembly as a, um, uh, a, um, a delegate from the Southeast region, uh, and I was Vice Chair of the General Delegate Assembly. And I was getting pretty busy in my um, uh, uh, graduate school, which I'd gone to, to get uh, to recover my profession, uh, professional career. And um, and I rotated off of the General Delegate Assembly in 2011. And since that time, I've had very little involvement in international service. Um, I've continued to sponsor a lot of men. My prayer routine has gotten compacted and has gotten distributed throughout the day to where I, I try to stay mindful. Um, but this past year, a number of things have happened, um, not the least of which is um, the sponsee I mentioned, and another man that I used to sponsor, um, who uh, a couple of years ago lost nearly nine years of sobriety and is now undergoing his own uh, criminal prosecution process. Um, I felt God tapping me on the shoulder, um, and and I'm about to submit a an application. Um, to be considered a candidate for trustee of, of Sexaholics Anonymous. I've never found in any part of my life um, uh, any relationships um, that are as fulfilling and as deeply invigorating to my recovery as the relationships I've made while doing international service. I don't think it's God's plan for everybody to get involved uh, in that. Um, He's got a lot of jobs. <laughs> There's no shortage of jobs in in God's uh, uh, world, um, but um, I, I do believe He's calling me to do that. And, and for today, um, I'm very grateful that I am. I, I cannot 
explain how I got from the porch of that halfway house 16 years ago to, to, to sitting here in front of you, I can only report it. It's not possible to get from where I was then to where I am now. But, um, but it happened. And to me, <laughs> that's living proof of, of God's presence and power. Um, I've seen, I see him in, in my life, I see him in your lives and in your recovery stories, and, and I'm very grateful to be here. And um, and with that, I will pass to Jesse. Thank you. I'm Jesse. I'm a sexaholic. I've been sober for five years and four months. Um, the the instructions for uh, reinvigorating your program are. St- in my opinion, steps 10 and 11. It's uh, 84 to the end of that chapter, 88. So uh, read it. Every time you start feeling like you're you're coasting, I, I read this passage. Um, halfway down page 84, this thought brings us that's after the ninth step promises. That's the are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They'll always materialize if we work for them. This thought brings us to step ten. So this is the work that ensues, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered the world of the Spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. I mean, this is becoming a more person, a better worker in our higher powers world. Um, there's There's a phrase I learned, I do God's work in front of me. And God does my work inside my head. I can't fix the craziness that's inside my head. I can only learn what is God's will for me right this moment and have the power to carry that out. And this portion of the big book is what gives me the instructions on how to get there. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Well, there's your fourth step inventory. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. See, I always took it for granted that God would remove it, and then I just went on on my way. That didn't work. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Resolutely. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Then it goes on. uh, First paragraph on page 86. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. And it gives a list of seven things to look for. And not to be morbid and... uh, uh, 
shameful about it, but with an idea of how am I going to improve on this tomorrow? And then the next paragraph on awakening. Let's think about the 24 hours a day. And before we begin, there's three things to do. And then the next paragraph, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. There's three things to do to determine what's the next best thing to do. It's all right here. And this, uh, you know, here, here I am up here on a, on a podium again. I'm not trying to give instructions, although it's in my heart <laughs> to instruct and teach and be the authority. But, um, but, uh, this, this is, uh, where I go to find how to bring myself down off of my high horse and uh put myself into the service of others this this is what we do uh i don't see my sponsor here uh so i don't have to watch him uh shake his head in dismay <laughs> but uh i can feel him <laughs> uh, so contact with my sponsor and with other guys in the fellowship is where i keep myself grounded. Uh, I used to look for sponsees. That didn't work. That just made me resentful. Then I satisfied myself with what the big book says, be fit and be willing to serve. Uh, I was at a job for a while, well, several times in my life, and I had on my to-do list every day, get a job. Well, as the weeks went by, oh, and it chokes me up just thinking about it. I, I went into despair because that day I didn't get a job. Damn it. And uh, it, uh, it, it started to really weigh on me. And then I don't remember if I just came to the realization or if somebody suggested it to me. Uh, well, you're not in control of getting a job. All you can do is go out and do the work to find a job, get somebody to offer you a job. And so I changed my, my daily note, look for a job. So then it came action that I could actually do. And the same, the same goes for sponsoring others, the same goes for helping others. I'm not going to go help others unless they need help and and will accept it. I'm not going to go do work unless it's work that um, someone allows me to do or asks me to do. And I find that here in this part of the book. So contact with others, willingness to work, and then do actively seek. I keep my head up. I raise my hand and I, uh, I'm that guy with his head up and his eyes up when it's, when it's, uh, you know, at, in meetings, at home, uh, all of that. And one, one last thing. I, I learned this from a Jess L talk. 
He said he, he really knew when it was working when he was at home and uh, his wife said, Jess, I'd like for you to put some shelves up in the laundry room. You don't have to do it right now, but as soon as you get around to it, I would appreciate that. And he said, that's when I knew I had changed my life and had changed her perception of me. And so it took me about two and a half years to get there with my wife when she said almost the same words. You don't have to jump up and do it right now. It took her 30 years to get there because I had to change from being the procrastinating, putting off bum that, that she married to be the guy that would jump up and do something. It changed both of our lives. Thank you. Here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. If you would like to share, please come up ahead of your turn and make a line by sitting in these chairs up front, or if you're sitting up front, that's just fine. When it is your turn to share, please speak clearly into the mic so everyone can hear you. For the sake of time, please just ask the question without going into too much detailed background information. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or focusing excessively on the problem rather on the solution, they may do so by they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law enforcement to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share and do not break your own or another member's anonymity. Um, can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, Steve Sexaholic. Um, I just want to get clear on this. I may be mistaken, but I, I believe the language uh, in what you've read, uh, you've read it just as it's written, but, but I believe this is a question and answer uh, session. And so when it says share. Uh, yes, it, yeah. you're right. Okay. So, the, yeah, the script was is mistaken. Do we have another script that would be? Uh, no, well, actually, this says question and answer breakout. No, I so, mean, uh, but the instructions that should go here. Well, I guess uh, we can improvise. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you want to style it? Um, I I don't know. It's my understanding that that the, that the sharing is for questions, um, but um, I'm good if uh, either way. I, I think uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So you're asking questions of the the panel. So not just an open share. All right. Is there someone who'd like to go first? Yes. Yeah. Speak into the mic so that it can be recorded. There's nothing more frustrating than to listen to one of these CDs and you hear this, and then a big big laugh, <laughs> then a, then a big laughter and uh, no response, and you don't know what was going on in the meeting. So thank you. My name's Nancy. I'm a sexaholic. My question is this, if either of you has had a break in sobriety, following a length of sobriety, was there a key in the change 
in the way you worked your program? Or if, if there was a point where you just, aha, it clicked, what happened in the way you worked to help you gain recovery? I'll, I'll take a shot at that. Yeah. Before, before I really, really, really recovered, every slip was just another slip. Damn it. I now I have to, you know, I was just kind of bouncing around. I had no real direction. In the last five or six years, I had this, I had the insight to know, uh oh, I'm in trouble. I am going to slip. And instead of feeling like, well, this is inevitable, I might as well get it over with, it was more like, I better get to my program. I better call my sponsor. I better call somebody. And it's hard. I don't do that. I don't like it. But I have to do it, whether I like it or not, because the life I have in recovery is a wonderful thing. It's not the life I lived for 30, 40 years, so it's not always the natural thing for me, but it is good, and it's certainly a, a peaceful life. And so I have learned to protect that by putting myself in the service of others and uh, talking to other people who will bring me back. Thanks, Jesse. Steve Sexaholic, um, uh, thanks for the question. Um, I agree with what Jesse said uh, in my experience. I, there's one sense in which I'm not qualified to answer the question because I haven't yet um, uh, relapsed um, uh, since since getting sober. As I said, I was really desperate when I came in here, really scared. Um, however, I want to just take a moment to say that I think the disease is the same disease whether or not I've come to my first essay meeting and uh, losing my sobriety uh all the times I tried to stay sober before my first essay meeting. Um, when I hear chronic relapsers talk about their experience, the so-called chronic relapser in, in, in our rooms, I don't see any difference. And, and, you know, the white book says, come to meetings, come to meetings, come to meetings, and a lot of people reiterate that part, but then it immediately says, work the steps, work the steps, work the steps. And um, I believe that that echoes what... what um, uh, what Jesse said is the program uh, that that keeps me sober, and I hope that uh, I, I keep working the program for another 24 hours. Thanks. Another 24 hours. Uh, I'm Jed Sexaholic. Hello, I'm Jed. Yeah. Uh, grateful to be here. I. So appreciate the uh, reference to the big book, um, the section from 10 through 11 of 88. Uh, just an observation and a question to kind of go with that is that uh, over the last few years, I've really been watching the folks that have a lot of sobriety and really seem that they're happy, joyous, and free on a regular basis, and it continues. And the one consistent theme that I found through that is intense work with others. 
And so the next, sen- the next sentence in the beginning of chapter 7, it says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intense work with other addicts. And I, uh, for me, I'm, I'm risk averse, so uh, I want an insurance policy. And so I just didn't know if you guys had any experience, strength, and hope to share on, uh, on the intense work part and how maybe that is what keeps things going or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. That's been my observation. So thank you. Thanks. Well, it, it certainly does, but I I started out knowing that and thinking, all right, I need a flock of sponsees, <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. Uh, I would I would approach guys that had raised their hands. I need a sponsor, and. Uh, Talk to them. Sometimes they'd say directly, "Well, no, I don't think uh, I'm I'm ready to start in." Or there, and or they'd say, "Yes," and that was the last time I ever saw them. <laughs> and it and it and it pissed me off. So I learned pretty quickly. You know, this isn't working. What works is to be fit and to be ready and willing and attract guys that want what I have and then make relationships so that they stay willing to do what I say and follow the steps. Not what I say that I'm instructing them on how to live their lives, but that I'm going to guide them through the steps the way I have learned to work through the steps and the way I stay sober and fit and happy. Um, so yeah, carry the message in more ways than sponsorship. You can, you know, just by keeping your chin up and your eyes open, you are carrying the message, and uh, it'll be it'll be helpful to others. Second paragraph of that chapter seven, working with others on page eighty nine. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. That's a lot. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is a bright spot of our lives. And here we are. We're the we're the winners. It's wonderful. Thanks, Jesse. Um, yeah, uh, great question. And, and, and uh, the way you, you worded it uh, um, sounds an awful lot like what Dr. Bob said about uh, the insurance policy that, that he took out, if I remember correctly, was, was working with others. Um, the man who took me through the big book has got over 30 years uh, in AA right now. But when he had a couple of years, he was struggling with some of his sponsees and um, complaining to his sponsor about it. And his sponsor said, Scott, I have 100% success in sponsorship. And Scott said, Jerry, does that mean that nobody you've ever sponsored has relapsed before? And he said, no, it means I've never relapsed. <laughs> and and I've got to remember that. Um, that Scott that, that uh, uh, is a salesman, and he has a gift for walking up to newcomers, pouncing on them, and getting 
just sharing about his own recovery, lowering his guard. There's some some guidelines on the bottom of 18, page 18 in the big book that are very helpful um, for who I want to be when I'm working with newcomers. He can just go up to somebody and do that. Um, I'm a real jumpy fellow, and if somebody had pounced on me like that in my first meeting, I probably would have run out of the room screaming. And <laughs> it's not my approach. The, the attraction rather than promotion idea, I saw people, you know, with sponsees and thinking, well, I know enough. To, I should be, you know, they should, I should be a sponsor. And it was like, well, Steve, why aren't they asking you? And, and what I heard was I need to um, work my own program. And and if I have recovery that's real, it's going to attract somebody who's looking for whatever it is I have as a result of that. And and that has worked for me. Um, so <clears throat> don't know. I I understand the the idea about risk averse, <laughs> and 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 I really didn't become willing to do the things that I do in recovery until I was more scared of my disease than I was of doing those things. Um, can't say there's any kind of virtue involved. That was pretty pretty much a, a frightened animal, <laughs> just uh, by God's grace, lucked into the into the right uh, way of doing things. But um, uh, it works, and and I've seen it work very differently for for different people. The personalities. It doesn't say principles instead of personalities. It says principles uh, instead uh, before or ahead of personalities. When I get my line, uh, the, the reading from page eighty. Five, the proper use of the will. When I get my personality aligned with the principles that God wants me to live by, it works. And so I love watching the different personalities, um, watch God work in different ways through us. Um, thanks. Hi, uh, Ned, sexaholic from Seattle. Yeah. Uh, let me just say right up front, I really appreciate and really resent that I can't come up here and just spout my own wisdom. <laughs> but uh, I do have three questions, two really quick ones, and one you can dwell on as long as we can stand it. Uh, one, uh, after a lot of experience, what have you found to be your minimum number of meetings per week to maintain your sobriety? Um, Gosh, what was the second one? I should have written these down. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, is there one or two steps that you're working on right now actively with your sponsor? Uh, third one, uh, I'd like you to reminisce a little bit about the last time you caught yourself talking or acting like a bleeding deacon. Thank you. What was the second question? Again, real quick, the number of sponsees. What are you working on? What oh. steps are you working on with a sponsee? A sponsor. Okay. With my sponsor? Yeah. Okay. Right. And then when's the last time you you felt like you were acting like a bleeding deacon? <laughs> that's a that's a Protestant term. Yes, yes. It's also in the in the twelve and twelve, so is it? Oh, yeah. okay. Well there you go. Yeah. Um, so shall I go first or shall you? Well, all right. I've been I've been going first. We'll keep to that pattern. Minimum number of meetings. Well, that's a tough one for me. Uh, when I was in programs and not recovering, I'd go to a couple of meetings a week and didn't do me a lick of good. Um, when I finally turned the corner and 
and uh, recovery started to take hold of me. I, I was uh, 120 miles from the nearest meeting, and I tried to go to two or three meetings a week, making that round trip on Tuesday and Thursday and again on Saturday, and I didn't keep that up for very long. But I got into the habit. There was a 7.30 in the morning on Saturday meeting, and I I just started making it a habit of getting up, getting in the car in time to get to that 7.30 meeting. As it became a habit, my wife, who likes to come to the city, would get up and come with me. So for the last five years, we just made a day of it. And uh, I have not done much with phone meetings or uh, Skype meetings or anything like that. So I don't have a lot of experience with that. Uh, but for a while, I did do several meetings a week. Uh, so that's that's what I know about that. Um, I have to admit, I am not working a step with my sponsor. I I am in touch with my sponsor and share concerns and uh, things that bother me about a sponsee. I'll bring to him, and we discuss it. And I do the same with other uh, long time. Sounds like twelve to me. Sober. Hmm? Sounds like twelve to me. <laughs> Step twelve. Oh, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm working step twelve. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, man, the last time I felt like a bleeding deacon was yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, Jesse. Um, uh, yeah, those are great questions. Um, and and I'm and I'm I will, with rigorous honesty, answer the first question as it was asked. Uh, I, I'm hesitant to talk about this because I don't want any of my sponsees to get ideas. I'm currently attending one meeting per week. Um, I, I spent a lot of time going to, uh, like I say, I went 500 meetings in my first year, and then I was going to uh, seven to nine meetings a week for several years, and then five to seven meetings a week for many years after that. Um, I have a lot of contact with sponsees. I sponsor 14 men, and um, doesn't count as an SA meeting. You know, any two, any two. Uh, uh, sexaholics, two or more sexaholics gather together for sobriety and call themselves an SA group. This is from the long form of tradition three, as or four, uh, three, uh, as long as they don't have an outside affiliation. When I'm talking with the sponsee, it's not, it's not open to any sexaholic and there are, there are requirements other than a desire to be sexually sober. We've got to agree to it. So it's not technically an SA group, but it does help an awful lot. So I got about five, uh, on average five contacts per week that are an hour. Roughly in length with with sponsees um, is part of the way um, my sponsorship goes, um, and that's very helpful. I am actually, as it uh, happens, working through the steps uh, again with my current sponsor, and and I'm on step four, and and the last one was uh, oh no that was the last one there was one other that oh yeah um, um, I, I want to read. Uh, um, from the uh, the um, the twelve and twelve, um, the story about um, 
uh, just briefly, there's a line here in tradition two on page 135 of the 12 and 12. The bleeding deacon is the one who is just as surely convinced that the group cannot get along without him, who constantly connives for re-election to office, and who continues to be consumed with self-pity. A few hemorrhage so badly that drained of all spirit and principle, they get drunk. Uh, and at times, the AA landscape seems to be littered with bleeding forms. And nearly every old-timer old in our society has gone through this process to some degree. You can read the rest. Um, I have a man that, that um, in AA, a very dear friend, who has served as a non-sexaholic trustee in our fellowship, and he has uh, helped me in my service uh, as, a, as what we call a service sponsor, uh, uh, study the traditions and the concepts with him, et cetera. He's a really dear friend, and, and um, he uh, has told me that all of us are bleeding deacons at one point or another, um, uh, and sometimes we can get to be what the book calls elder statesmen, where we get a, uh, enough humility to where we, we realize uh, our, our, our proper role in things. Um, and, and But we can always relapse back into bleeding deaconism, and when that happens, we have to pray for clotting. Um, now, is, uh, now, is the, 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 last, the, the last time I know for sure as a bleeding deacon, I'm really not... Uh, you know, I would have to think uh, long and hard on that. Usually other people spot it before I do. And so I think I better ask my sponsor on that one. I'm a, <laughs> I'll do so as soon as I see him. But um, um, I want to tell a, another story real quick about the minimum number of meetings. And this was uh, the, the man that took me for the big book, Scott, his sponsor, Jerry. Uh, 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 somebody asked this question. In a meeting, he said, you know, I've been sober a few months and I want to get my life back. And, and, and you know, just going to a meeting every day, it's just like, you know, what, what do I need to do? And so Jerry, Jerry just kind of answered the question like this. He said, um, uh, you know, what you do is, you know, first you just go to six meetings a week instead of seven. And, and then if that works, you, you cut it back to five. And if that works, you cut it back to four. And you just keep doing that until you wake up in jail in, in a puddle of your own piss and vomit and then you know that you know that's how many meetings you, you, you need so <laughs> I'll pass with that thanks hi everyone my name is Mitch I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic uh, and uh, July 18th uh, 2008 I proudly celebrated 10 years of sobriety I uh, was not going to get my 11-year uh, chip because I relapsed. And the question about what to do, in my case, I uh, realized I was quickly, I masturbated. Uh, I didn't go to my real bottom-bottom line behavior, which get me in a lot of trouble. But um, I uh, realized that uh, I was in trouble, and um, I... I guess the first thing I realized I had to do was to go to a whole lot more meetings. And so I decided to go 90-90, and I started doing a meeting a day. I realized that uh, I needed certainly to get back to step work. And I did a step one on basically on how did you manage to pull that off to relapse. And uh, told, gave it to my sponsor. And then I gave it to my group. And before I had done that, one of the, the other thing I back up, I did right. I, boy, I did not want to do this, which was I went in and said, "Hey, I've 
I've relapsed. Um, and I come from a town where it was fairly, you know, small community, recovery community, um, certainly relative to San Antonio's community. But um, I had been in the pro. I was probably the longest member in the program in the town at the time, and um, it, it was a shockwave through the whole whole city. And um, it was something I didn't want to do. <laughs> my ego was like, oh boy, <laughs> I don't really want to do this. And my addicts is, oh, you know, he came up with all sorts of reasons why I could avoid doing it. But uh, I, I went ahead and told myself, no, I got, I got to go do this. And, and then, then from there, I, I realized I needed to do 90-90. I was fortunate enough, the job I had had enough flexibility where I could, because we don't have a tremendous amount of meetings in town. But between SAA and SA, I was able to get to a meeting a day for 90 days. And then, like I said, I knew I had to give, do the first step over, and, and I gave it to my, to my uh, sponsor and then to the group, uh, my home group. Um, and then after that, um, in terms of meetings, um, I go to three, three a week. Um, I don't, I find that if I get less than three in, I start to get a little shaky. I, I know I, I need more, I need at least three. Um, coming here was good. Uh, oh, that's the other thing I started doing is I started going to conventions on a regular basis. I try to get in at least one a year. Um, yeah, I'd say one a year. Occasionally I miss one in a year and I don't go to two. It, it's a little pricey. I don't know if anybody noticed that. <laughs> But um, let's see, and uh, yeah, and then just a daily practice. I went. I had allowed myself to drift away from the the daily practice of prayer, meditation, starting every morning off that way. I resumed that. Um, journaling is something I got started early on in my recovery back in 1989, and uh, I definitely resumed that. Uh, so to this day, I do that on a daily basis. And um, I sponsor, um, used to sponsor a whole lot of people. The, the idea of a lot of service work certainly made a lot of sense. But um, I um, also eventually became a therapist, and I, I work with sex addicts. So I, I backed off on the sponsoring because it's, you can only handle so much, and, and I'm seeing somebody five or six times a day. So, But, uh, yeah, and I, I don't actually have a question for you guys. I'm sorry, but... Well, I thought fine. I appreciate I thought what he has a little specific on, on how, how to handle a lapse. But, uh, yeah, so today I'm sober, and I'm very grateful, and thanks. Let me share. Thanks, man. Thank you. The one thing that comes to mind for me is um, having uh, – it's a challenge for me is having my pride be the motivator and the tool to maintain my sobriety. When it should be honesty and humility, the two guiding tenets of our program. Because um, when I depend on my pride, that can take me a long way. Because you heard me last night. I'm a, a, an arrogant son of a bee, and I can I can go a long way on pride. But it'll also make me into a liar. Because I'll slip and be too proud to tell you. And uh, that can only lead to my absolute ruin, trying to put up a good front for uh, people who don't care about a good front. They only care about 
my health. So, yeah, you can get it all all screwed up and backwards if if you're not humble and honest. And you learn how to be humble and honest by working the steps. That's all there is to it. Thank you. You have something to add to that? Um, uh, thanks, Jesse. That's great. Um, yeah, um, I, I've frequently had people, I don't know, insinuate or maybe just come out and say that that, that, that I was maybe getting a little puffed up about my uh, sponsorship lineage or my number of sponsees or my length of sobriety or my service positions, blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, that may be true. Um, I certainly uh, have... Uh, uh, had some character defects over the years and continue to have them. One thing that it came to me though, you know, somebody said one time in, in, in response to something, man, you should have seen, you, 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 you're judging that fellow for being puffed up about, about that. You should have seen what he was puffed up, you know, 25 years ago. You know, it's like I, I was, I was just as arrogant and proud, but, but, uh, you know, if, if I am, uh, applying my defects of pride and, and arrogance and condescension or whatever, uh, in in this program, that that that's an improvement, and and uh, I do want to keep coming back. I agree. Uh, I think with what I heard Jesse say, you know, that if I rely on uh, that that selfish you know motivation, then uh, it's going to take me where it always takes me back to the bottle, back to the the bed sheets, whatever. Um, and uh, and and but if I'm in here and I'm doing my best to. Um, uh, let God make you know make myself available to the process that God can uh, that works on us in here. Then those character defects will get used while they're being removed. And and so yeah, we all carry a message. Um, I want my message. I carried a message of disease for many many years, and then today I want to carry a message of recovery. Thanks. Morning, gentlemen. My name is Brian. I'm a sexaholic. Brian. Hey, Brian. And uh, it's my first uh, convention, so I'm very, very happy to be here. <clears throat> um, kind of had to write my uh, my question down here. But Roy K. in um, Recovery Continues and uh, elsewhere uh, writes about two ways in which he experienced a progressive victory over lust. Uh, to kind of paraphrase, he says, one way was learning all the different subtle forms that his lust uh, took on, like uh, fantasy or escape fantasies from his wife or, you know, socializing with people that he knew to be like promiscuous just to kind of, um, uh, feed up, feed that high a little bit. Uh, on the other hand, he said that, um, the other part where he experienced progressive victory over lust was, uh, getting more proficient, uh, timely and effective with surrendering lust temptations. These are two different ways that he grew. My question for you gentlemen, is how have you uh, grown in essay, or in, in um, as you have grown in essay, how has that line that delineates practicing recovery versus practicing lust in some fashion changed or been clarified or been affirmed? And that's that's part one. So how is that? How do you see that line now? Where where you know am, am I practicing sobriety or am I practicing lust? Um, and then also, secondly, if you believe that it is possible to be uh, drunk on lust without an explicit um, sexual acting out, um, how do you explain that delineation uh, to, to a newcomer or to, to really anybody? And I'll, thanks. Thanks, Brian. 
You got something? Sure. All right. Yeah. yeah. I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, thanks for the question, Brian. Um, yeah, I have um, thought a lot about what progressive victory over lust means, and I've thought a lot about what lust is. And and there's an appendix on spiritual experience at the back of the big book that talks about varieties of spiritual experience. And my experience is that lust is not the same in you know for, for for all sexaholics. There's much that I identify with in the writings of Roy or when Harvey talks about what is sex with self. There's much that I identify with, but there's much that I do not. Uh, my brain doesn't work the same way every every other. Uh, brain works and and for me i've had to let go of the idea that i know what lust is you see an alcoholic doesn't have any problem in knowing whether alcohol has passed through their lips you know that i told an aa friend once that our you know about our sobriety definition it says it also includes progressive victory over lust and he said well that sounds like rationalization to me. I mean, what if you said that I'm experiencing progressive victory over alcohol? What the heck does that mean? You know, so, so, so we've got a problem they don't have. Um, and, and so I always, when I read the AA literature uh, in a meeting, uh, especially, I read it as it's written. That's how it's approved for use in our fellowship. I don't, I don't substitute lust and alcohol. This is written by alcoholics for alcoholics about alcoholism. Uh, I believe that applying it to my, my lust addiction is why I'm alive today, but I don't assume everything that's true for the alcoholic is true for us. And so um, I do believe I've got progressive victory over lust, but part of that is really not confidence in, in my experience and my knowledge of what lust is so much as it is confidence in the God that I'm meeting in this process. So I do I do find that less and less my mind is preoccupied with sexual thoughts as time goes by. Um, I do believe it's possible to be drunk on lust um, uh, without uh, technically violating the sobriety definition. I've talked to many people. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure I've experienced it. I've certainly experienced grave discomfort uh, with sexual uh, thoughts and behavior. I was dating a woman and I was engaged for a while, nearly lost my sobriety. Um, uh, but I trust that sobriety as we have it and, and proclaim it here is not about me and how good I am. I'm bragging, but I'm not bragging on myself. If I, 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 I shouldn't be, I, I'm bragging on what SA has done for me. And so I think it's important for us to have this idea of sobriety. It's not, it's not so easy and clear cut the way it is for the alcoholic. Don't know if I've, I've uh, uh, answered the question so much as taking the question as an opportunity to, to go off on one of my little soapboxes, which I often, uh, some of my sponsors in here have heard, heard some of this before. So anyway, I'll hush now. Thanks. What came to mind for me was the, have I become more efficient in handling lust hits? Yes, I have been. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make it, doesn't necessarily solve the problem. I still have to do the work. Um, my biggest challenge today is fantasy. Back when I was acting out, I wrote stories, uh, 
pornography, basically, and posted them up to these websites that that have that kind of thing. And um, I was going to be a writer, you know, but <laughs> but now in uh, recovery, those stories and new ones pop up into my head. I do a lot of highway driving, and a lot of it is with my 95-year-old dad in the car. And once you've commented on the weather and the traffic, he's not much for conversation. So I spent a lot of that time in isolation. Uh, and here it comes. Like Jess L. says, you know, my, my addict will, will put on a videotape. He knows where they're kept. Puts them on for his own entertainment. But, um, what, what he taught me in these, in these, one of these, uh, talks is that my addict needs my undivided attention. So if I can do something else, say a prayer, and for me, the, the rote prayers, if I just try to start improvising, well, it goes back to the, to the porn video that my addict just put on. But if I can distract myself, with program, prayers, or a, even a conversation, then it, it, it goes away. And the more healthy I am, and I don't, I won't say the more healthy I become, because I'm not. I've found out already. You know, I'm only five years in. I found out that I'm not going to get to a point where that's not a problem. I can just keep myself in a place where I can stop myself or get help for myself from falling back into the problem. So some days it's not there. Some days, damn. But yeah, I have become more efficient. But I can't, like Steve was saying, I can't rest on my laurels and assume that I'm just okay. I still have to, to work my program. Any final words? No. Close it. Yes, sir. How shall we close it? In closing, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Principles of SA are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, phone numbers of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard were told in confidence. Please do not repeat what you've heard about another member or anyone who was not actually here at this meeting at the time it was shared. Please, what we say here, when we leave here, let it stay here. Shall we close with the third step prayer? Sure. All right. Would you, you object to circling up? No, sir. Anyone who, who feels comfortable, let's circle up in this area right here in the middle of the front. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com 
and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.